Okay, so we're going to be in Galatians, the book of Galatians. If you could join me in chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we are in the middle of our series, as you can see on the screen, Grace Changes Everything. And that is the overall arching theme of the book of Galatians. And that's important. It's important to know that because uh, you're going to see the way that Paul structures this letter. He wrote many letters to different churches around at the time. He structured this letter in a very strongly worded way. Um, you're going to see it's, he opens his letters to the other, like to the Ephesians or the Colossians. Grace and peace among you, beautiful Christians. That's how it comes across. Really nice. He opens this one. What in the world are you doing, idiots, over there? So this is a totally different book, but it's, it's awesome because it's going to show you that he's trying to establish or reestablish the effect of the gospel by getting us not to look at what we can do in our own power or in our own, in our own flesh, but what can we do by the power and grace of God? Which is why we got saved in the first place. And you're going to see that he's going to uh, break down, essentially, this is like a loose summarization of, of all religions of the world. The, you can break religions down into two different categories. The first category would be the religion of trying, and the second would be the religion of trusting. Now, all religions present themselves as a case of this is how you can be a good man. Or this is how you can be a good woman. But here's the interesting part of that. By what standard? Uh, I had the uh, opportunity when I worked at a cell phone company a long time ago. I was working in their technical department. And we had people from all over the world that would come train at our facility so that we could train them how to write manuals in their original language. And so I had exposure to people from um, many uh, Muslim countries. So I would learn about the Islamic relation. Uh, ship, you know, how they would be relating to Allah. And I would say, so how will you know um, that you'll get to heaven? And I say, well, here's what you do. You try your best and you hope that when you get there, the scales of good outweigh the bad and then Allah will accept you. And I said, well, how would you know you did good? Like, what's the standard of good? And they're like, you just hope, you know? And I was just like, well, that's not much of an assurance. In fact, that would fill me with anxiety more than that would fill me with hope. And then we'd be uh, dealing with people from Buddhist countries, and I would say, how do you know that you're going to end up in a good situation? Because they were telling me about reincarnation and things like this. And they're just like, you hope that you do good. And I'm like, by what standard is your good? And they're like, well, if it feels good. And I was just like, well, I don't really know if that accounts, because some days certain things feel good that later in life they don't feel good. You know, so um, if you're like me, you went to bed, you were fine, you woke up and you got injured somehow in the middle of the night just by sleeping. Well, you know, certain things just don't appeal in certain ways. I think life changes. And so what is the standard? Now, Paul is making the, the quote in the list here that is say, the whole point of Christianity is that you don't try. You trust. And the reason why you want to trust is that you want to see that the person that you're relying on is good enough. Because you know already from the point, from the get-go, by looking in the mirror, you will never be good enough. As anybody can say, here's the case in point, when you stand before God, can you share with him how good you've been this week or today or the whole life, say, is this good enough? You know for a fact that it's not good enough, and that's why you've called on Jesus Christ as a Savior. And so what we're looking at is right now is this is including Judaism. Judaism is a religion of trying. And you say, well, Joey, that came from God in the beginning, but I want to let you know, initially there was 10 commandments, and then the rabbis came in and entered in how many more? 613. Some of you guys are in the middle of tax season right now. 
that's more codes than the IRS has thrown at you, right? Through TurboTax or whatever. And you're like, just make it simple, right? Just tell me how much you need, and that's what we're going to go with. But this is what we're dealing with inside of Judaism. Is like, this is a 613 rules that will, you need to accomplish for you to be considered good, and you couldn't. And you'll never be good enough. And that's why, and essentially, and we can say this now, I understand the Old Testament and the New Testament have a great relationship. The Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed. The New Testament is the plan of God through Jesus Christ revealed. It's the same book. It's the same Bible. And we're going to learn through Abraham and Moses and Paul that the plan has been the same. But Judaism is not essentially not compatible with Christianity. And I'm going to give you the case in point. I practiced Christianity this morning. First thing in the morning, I got that real thick bacon from the store that costs a lot of money. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And I baked it real nice. I didn't put it in the frying pan. I baked it real nice, and it came out perfect. And I told my wife, I go, I think this is the most perfect bacon I've ever made. It was just so great. And I bit into it, and at no point did I feel like I let God down because of my dietary condition, right? In fact, I celebrated Jesus all the more. Why? Not because I know I'm making light of something that may be super serious to somebody who is Jewish, but you can understand the idea is what I do doesn't make me holy. It's what I believe. It's who I follow. It's who I pursue and who is pursuing me. And that's why you can see, essentially, what we're looking at is Paul is setting up churches around uh, the Mediterranean. As you guys know, Galatia isn't... um, is Gaul. It's not, it's not a church. It's not the church, it's not Calvary Chapel of Galatia. It's, it's or Calvary Chapel of Gaul. It's like central Florida. So he's writing a letter to a bunch of churches that he helped plant. And what's happening, these people called Judaizers are coming behind them. And these Judaizers are coming behind uh, Paul as he sets up these churches and they're believing the gospel and they're going, that's great. You're right. Paul is true. Jesus came and he died for your sins, but you won't make it to heaven unless you're circumcised. And I know I'm about to make light of this, so just bear with me. But you understand, like, when we get to heaven, there isn't going to be a line for girls and a line for guys. And an angel's going to be like, gentlemen, if you can come over here and step in this tent, we're just going to make sure. (laughs) At no point is that going to take place. And thank the Lord that's not going to take place, because the only thing that's going to matter is, did you know my son? Did you know my son, Jesus Christ? And did you believe him? And that brings us to our first point. A Christian will live by faith. A Christian will live by faith. And this has been the case from the beginning. And so this is what we're going to understand through the book of Galatians. But faith in what? What are we trusting in? I'm going to give you a crash course through the whole Bible, as Paul is too. The law states this. If we're going by the law, the law states that all lawbreakers will be cursed. That's a requirement. All wages of sin do not equal anything good. It equals death. So your sin automatically precludes you from a life of eternity. And it also doesn't mean like a life now. I'm talking about a life eternal. Your spirit is dead in your sin. But we also believe that Christ came and died on the cross. And I want you to understand how powerful this moment is. Understand the moment. Jesus Christ didn't just take on your sins on the cross. He became your curse. He became your curse incarnate. Let me just put this this way. Joey Everington is cursed. I am cursed to the point of death because of my sin. Jesus Christ says that I will take your sin. Not only that, I will become your curse. When you look at the cross, fill in your name, Joey's curse. That's Jesus. And when he died, all of my sin died with him. The penalty for the sin died with him. Let me put it one more my shame and my guilt of the sins that I've committed died with him. And now I live in full hope and faith that he is who he says he is. Now the result is I don't just feel relieved. I don't just feel saved. 
I live saved. The old me is not here anymore. The person that you see today is born again, but through what? Through Jesus Christ, by him pouring his spirit in me. And that is the result, and that is the fruit. And that is why we say, it's not something that I can achieve. I will never achieve to be good enough. It's the Christ that's in me. That's why we sang the song today, In Christ Alone. Look at the lyrics on the screen. This kind of sums up the Bible here, but it's specifically the crucifixion. This is post-crucifixion. Look at those lyrics that we just awesomely sang. It says, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, understand that, Christ stood in victory. None of us stood in victory. Christ did. But because of his victory, what happens to us? Since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ and circumcision and kosher living. Aren't you glad that Rachel didn't sing the great song of circumcision today, aren't you? (laughs) Praise the Lord. But that's what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with what we do. We're dealing with what we believe. And that's why I have such relief. Because if it's on me, if it's on my power to achieve, then it's on my power to fail. It's on my power to lose. And therefore, because I can't lose in Jesus Christ because it's all on him, then the bedrock and the foundation that I stand on will never move because Jesus has never changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what is his heart? To be the same loving, forgiving God that is constantly pursuing you no matter what. He left the 99 to go find the one not to give up on you, to save you, to redeem you, to restore you, to restore you, but to bring you back to the fold. What fold? Heaven's fold, eternity. And that's what we're believing. And that's where the work no longer becomes a work of, of my own flesh. It becomes a work of delight because it's not in my power. It's in his power. So what if I stumble? So what if I fail? I don't want to return to it, not because I don't want to be just a sinful person, but because I love God so much. It's not a box that I'm checking off. It's a relationship that I'm in. It's ongoing. It's always growing. And that's why you can look at, we're going to put on the screen, Galatians chapter 1. This is the beginning of what Paul's thesis is. Verses 6 through 7, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Look at the strong words in verse 7, which is no gospel at all. You know what he's saying to them? You started out a Christian. It was revealed in you. Just think about the supernatural miracle that took place when you got saved. Did you know that you would have not got saved if not by the Spirit? It was never this revelation that you showed up and knocked on the door and you said, Jesus, I can't do life without you. Can you help me out? And he's like, I guess. I mean, you do kind of look like, no. The Bible actually says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but what has been revealed by the Spirit. Which means, it's also said this way in the Bible, there was a veil over your eyes or a callus that was over your heart where you said, nope, I'm okay. Doesn't matter how good enough you are or how bad enough you thought you were. You said you were good enough. But who can stand before the Lord and say that they're good enough? And then the Lord came in and said, let me remove the callus from your heart. Let me lift the veil from your eyes so you're no longer blind. And you can look into your soul for the first time and say, I have a God-sized hole in my heart. And only you can fill it, Lord. I was created for you, by you to live in, gl- in your glory. And you know what? I will never be satisfied until I stand in that. And the Lord said, let me rescue you 
from you and pull you by grace into a new life. And Paul is saying, none of that took place in your flesh. None of that took place because you went to the Ten Commandments and said, Lord, I achieved that. Can I have my salvation card now? Because what if you break it later? Who here has been a Christian and then failed a week later, a day later, 10 minutes later? Me, I've asked for forgiveness, tripped and fallen, said some things and said, oh, I'm right back where I started, Lord. Literally, I'm not kidding. I tripped and fell over a rake and uh, I had to go right back. Well, you know why I'm back here, Lord. So this is where we're going to be. So in the book of Galatians chapter three, if you join me here, this is where we're moving through. Oh, so let me, conf- let me sorry, I, I skipped ahead because I'm so excited. I love this second part of verse seven because I, I don't know if you read the Bible and hear tone. I can hear a teacher's tone. I grew up with a teacher. My mom was a teacher. You ever hear this? Evidently, <laughs> nobody studied for the test. Did you ever hear that? Listen to this tone. Evidently, none of you Jews are, th- are th- look at this, study for the test. Some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And I want you to look at that word pervert. Pervert means to completely change from its original intention. I'm, you, they're bringing you the gospel of the word of the Lord to just come and receive the blessing of salvation that the Lord is giving you. Would you just sit and receive? You don't have to do anything. Would you receive the good gift of God? But now you're perverting it to be what? Something that you can achieve. But remember, that's something you can also lose. So verse, uh, chapter three, verse one, we're gonna continue in that same thought. Look what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, which means Jesus did the sacrifice, not you. But look how he does it. I just want you to know, he's actually attacking their mental IQ. He's actually attacking their intelligence. He's saying there is a place for reason inside of Christianity. It's not all feelings and emotions. Let's reason together. The reason why we're here is because of Christ, not because of us. That's number one. How much of an idiot do you have to be? My translation, what kind of a fruit loop goes, I get saved by the Spirit, and now I'm going to win God over in the flesh? Dumb. And then goes on to say, who has bewitched you? Now, I want you to understand, he doesn't say these words lightly. He came up in a time, Paul was very much aware of all the cities that he went to, that there was mediums and witches, and they would come against Christians. And he's saying, someone's cast, cast a spell over you. A little bit like this picture on the screen, you'll notice this, you'll, you'll understand immediately what this means. Now, I'm about to tell you a story, and I'm not trying to toot my horn. This is just me being a little, a little young man that was going through kids' ministry. And um, I used to have a babysitter who always played reruns and bewitched, you know, during daytime television would have like three reruns back to back, right? And I was always remembering, like, we would go through the Bible, we'd have our coloring pages, you know, in kids' ministry. And, you know, it'd always be like somebody evil, some pagan coming against like Elijah, right? And Elijah would just speak the word against them and beat them. And, you know, here comes this lady. What did she do? Like, would she wiggle her nose in the show? Yeah, everybody remembers, right? And she put some kind of a spell over somebody. And I always thinking, I was like, you know, we just learned about Elijah. Why didn't somebody, hey, like, hey, witch. Jesus said, I'm free from you. I don't need, like, why didn't anybody block her spells with the word of the Lord? And that's basically what Paul's saying. Do you know at the time when witches are around, it's speak these words and the spell will come true. That is what Paul's attacking. Do you think you can walk into church and speak these words and now you're a Christian? No. You have to know Jesus intimately. You have to enter into a relationship. I cannot go home as a husband and go, I took out the trash. I washed the dishes. 
Kids got a bath, they're in bed. Do you love me? <laughs> yes? This is a loving relationship. Thank you. Now, at one point, does that work? It doesn't work that way. There has to be motivation. There has to be commitment. There has to be covenant. There has to be covenant between two, two, two people. And that's what he's saying. You've been falling into a spell. You've been tricked into trying. That has never been the center of this relationship. The center of this relationship has been faith. Why go back to your flesh? It kind of looks like this picture we're going to put up on the screen. Imagine you and I, imagine all of us right here. Here's the, here's the cruise ship right here, right? We all get into a boat, and we're in England, and we say we're going to cross the Atlantic, and we're going to go to America, and we, uh, we set sail, right? So we put up the, the sail, and we wait for a wind, and the wind takes us out of the harbor, right? And we start to go into the ocean, and we're like, we see England drifting into the background, right? And we're like, yes, we're going to make it. And then one of us just climbs up there and ties up the sails and lowers it and hands us oars. And they're like, okay, the wind got us 10 minutes out, but we're going to row the rest of the way. And we would all look at him and we'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? What are you, an idiot? We're going to die before we make it. Our food's going to run out. Our bodies are going to give out. We can't row our way over there. And you'd be like, why? Because I need a wind. I need a wind to take me. I need something bigger than me. I need a power to get me through. And Jesus Christ has shown up and announced himself and said, here I am. I am grace. I am going to empower you to do everything that I've asked you to do. You need faith. I'm going to be the author and perfecter of your faith. You need power. I will give you power. You need grace and forgiveness to give grace and forgiveness. I will be that grace and forgiveness so you can forgive and you can release yourself out of the bitterness of the relationships that you're in. I will be everything. Why row when you could have the wind blow your sails? And that is where we're at today. You see, what, what Paul is saying through his scripture right now is that this isn't good advice. This is good news. This isn't a seven-step or 12-step program. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that has come to overtake your life, to propel you in the direction. Who here can make it to heaven on their own? Let alone, I'm going to tell you, me, myself, I could not even step into this pulpit and preach the word if it was not by the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be a bad time for you if I did. I would not be able to go home and be the husband I did if it wasn't for the grace of God blowing into my life and empowering me to be the person that God's called me to be, not my wife or who I've called myself to be. I couldn't be a father unless I didn't have the Father of heaven shepherding my heart to teach me how to shepherd my young ones. It's by the grace of God everything comes to me in my life. And that's who we are. We are similar to the sail ship, right? Or the, the, the sails on the boat. We're waiting for that wind to take us. And does the wind come? And is it faithful? Absolutely. I'm going to give you the way that you can measure it. Who here knows for a fact that they are a Christian but also imperfect? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. Good attendance here. Lower your hand. Very good honesty. Here's how we can do the measurement of the Holy Spirit. Who here knows that they're imperfect but is blown away by how far the Holy Spirit is taking you so far? from where you started, from where you began, power of the Holy Spirit. And you can see that that result is in your life and you can see that that fruit is come out and forth from the Holy Spirit. It's true. Look at verse two. I love it. Listen to the tone. Remember the tone? I would like to learn just one thing from you. Can you hear it? Riddle me this, all you brilliant Galatians, is basically what he's saying this. Look at the questions. And you never want questions from a legal mind because they'll pick you apart. Listen to his mind. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you a Christian by your hands or are you a Christian by your ears? Look at verse three. Are you so foolish 
after the beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it was really in vain, I want to ask you this question. How much of time has God wasted on you? I would say zero. How much time have we wasted of God? A lot. I know that me personally, all the time. And yet, has the Lord ever put his hand upon your life and it's been in vain? Never once. Look at verse five. So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I love this because Paul in true pastoral fashion is doing the one thing that all of us pastors do. I feel like I'm in good company. One more point before we close and then he says six more points. I mean, we're just, this, that's a good shepherd right there. But look at the argument that he's saying. How did you get saved? What are you accomplishing everything by? How, 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 did you, how did you come by the knowledge of Jesus Christ if not by the Spirit? And so we have to say, sometimes as a Christian, yes, we've been saved, but how many times do we have to remind or re preach to our own self, just like David did, soul, why are you downcast? Is God not good? Did not God save you once? Will he not save you again? What, did he not pour his blood on you and forgive you? Will he not forgive you again? What's the difference? Yes, it's difficult because you have the knowledge of God. Maybe at one time you didn't, but now you have the knowledge of God. But now that you have the full working knowledge of God, don't you know that he's good? Won't you ask him to lift you up by his spirit? This is why he says back in Galatians chapter 2, and I want to remind you, he says this as a person who's very seasoned and very learned, and we would probably say one of the best Christians of all time. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't care if you've been a Christian for one minute, one year, or a hundred years. You say these same things. I live by the grace of God. I do not set it aside. Look, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. We're sitting at the foot of the cross who could look up and say, thank you, but no thank you? You know, if you could do everything by your own flesh, guess what else you could do? You could also tell God how good you are. You know, if, I, if I'm accomplishing things through the Ten Commandments or I'm accomplishing by my good, I can also set the standard of the relationship. I could say, God, I'm really good, but, you know, we've done enough for today. And he'd be like, you know what? No, we haven't. We've got to get rid of that nasty little lying habit you have. Or maybe the things that you look at the computer that you shouldn't be looking at. Uh, uh, no, we're not done. I'm not satisfied. I love you too much. I will take you where you're at, but I love you too much to not leave you the way that you are. Because my love is complete. It is unconditional. It's true, but it is not done. And that is what he's saying here. By the grace of God, that the grace goes both ways. Yes, he receives us where, he's at, where we're at, but he's not done. And we have to be able to say that because he's good, it's okay that he makes us a little uncomfortable from time to time if he's clearing out the weeds in the garden. Go ahead and pull, Lord. Go ahead and work. At the same time, we, who of us could have gone up to heaven and knocked on the door and been like, bang, 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 bang. Jesus, have you seen my tithing statement? <laughs> it's good, no? What kind of an eyebrow raise do you think you're going to get from Christ? Or who would say, you know what, we just had night to shine and I danced for two hours with people with special needs and my feet are sore, Lord. Did I not do a good job? That's great. Is that salvation and is that understanding? Is that relying on the grace of God? No, that's doing. And all those things are great and all those things are good, but you have to remember there is the same failure that is in your flesh 
is the same thing that had to be superseded by the supernatural power of Jesus Christ, and that was overcome the moment that you said, Jesus Christ, you're my Messiah, and you've been forgiven. The moment that you laid your whole life down at the cross is the moment that you realize this. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ selected you based on your worst day. How are you impressing Jesus Christ today? The idea that he left heaven and came down here and served you by dying on the cross was based not on your performance or on your merit. It was based on your absolute worst day. And if I were to say, this is your worst day, let's roll up the tape right now, you'd be like, no, no, don't look. Don't have anybody here see this. You'll never look at me the same. And yet Jesus Christ looked at that day and said, that's the person I choose. That's the person I die for. I can give you my testimony right now. I've stood in front of a mirror and said, and looked at that person who was me, and I said, no more. I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to die. I will commit suicide tonight. And the Lord came by his grace and stopped me. His grace, his power. You could see where the works of my flesh went. They didn't go anywhere. And his went where? Not only a life saved, but a life saved for salvation. And now I'm here today. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) And so him goes to glory. And you can see this very strong in the Old Testament. Sometimes everyone thinks this is a New Testament message. Look at the Old Testament. Look at Samson. I don't know if you're like me. I I loved the picture Bible growing up. Did anybody have one of those picture Bibles, cool pictures? I always loved the Samson as a young man because I wanted to be Samson. Uh, Everybody was dressed, if if you looked at your old picture Bibles, it was always like they had like a house coat, like I mean, like, I know it's Middle Eastern, but it's like all guys were wearing moo-moos and then they had a coat over the moo right? But then there was Samson and he had like a toga on, right? He's the only one and his pecs are all out and he's like defying the Philistines and I was like, that's what I want to be. But see, that's like an artist rendition. That's not actually what the Bible actually says. The, the Bible actually says that Samson was just a regular guy where the Holy Spirit fell on him. So I'm going to get like burst your bubble. He probably looked like me. Just a regular old... <laughs> Out of shape, no big deal, dude, right? But you laughed a little too hard at that. (laughs) We'll have to pray after the service. But I just say this, it's like he stood before the Philistines and he, he was given the job of protecting Israel and being a judge. And he said, Lord, if you would give me your spirit, I will, I will defend Israel. I will protect its people. And then he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, picked up a jawbone and defended the nation. I don't know if you watch, I watch a lot of Kung Fu movies and it's like, it's always amazing when the good guy finally gets a sword in his hand. What's a jawbone going to do, right? And so here comes the enemy, and who I, you would look at him, it was just a regular guy with a jawbone, and you go, that's the power of the Lord. And then, and then it comes along the, the time where they locked him inside of a city, and it's not like these cities like, you know, Sebastian River Landing Gate. This isn't like one of those aluminum gates. This is a big wooden gate with heavy metal chains, and you know what he does? But Lord, if you'll give me the power, I will, and he lifts up a gate and walks away. It's just a regular guy walking away with a gate, and everybody goes, the God of Israel is real, and the God of Israel is good. And then one time he turns to Delilah and says, I'm going to go out there and do this in my power and my flesh. And turns out, Samson, without the power of the Holy Spirit, was the weakest man in the Bible. Like a little kitten, like a little puppy, the Philistines walked up to him and just tied a rope and led him away. That's me, that's you, without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's me, that's you, without the grace of God falling on you and saying, let me, not you, rest. And so at this particular time, it's finally when it dawns on Samson that no, I cannot do life apart of God. The Philistines gouged out his eyes, brought him to a party, made him a spectacle. They're throwing trash at him. They're laughing at him. And Samson finally gets it. And he says, you know, Lord, I can't do anything. 
But if you give me the power, I will do what you've asked me to do one last time. If your strength falls on me, I will push these two columns and I will crush these evil Philistines right now. And the Lord fell on him and he was able to defend Israel one more time. That's why we look up at the cross and it's a death nail to our best efforts. Who can stand before the cross and say, I'm good enough? Who can stand before the cross and say, look at what all the good stuff I did, Lord? None of us. It's utter destruction to ourself. But that's what Paul is saying. We should be leaning into a relationship with God. We should be trusting the Lord. We should be loving. We should be walking and talking. We should let the power of the Lord fall on us rather than trying to impress us and each other. Loving him. Now, we move out of questioning of Paul, thank the Lord, and we move into quotes by Paul. And he's going to kind of run up against, as he's talking to the Jews, Abraham versus Moses. And you're going to see this, verse 7. He says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All Jews will be blessed through you. Is that what the scripture says? No, from Genesis, the beginning, God's plan was to love the whole world. For God to love the whole world, he sent his Son, and from Abraham would come Jacob, Isaac and Jacob, and from Isaac and Jacob would come Israel, and from Israel would come Jesus Christ. And it starts with this Abraham was a nobody until the Holy Spirit fell on him and changed his life. In fact, he's not even a good person. Look with the continuation it says, All nations will be blessed with you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And if you know anything about Abraham's story, he was never even a good man of faith. If you know anything about his story, it looks a little bit like this. Look at the screen. Genesis 15, 5 through 6. He was a lonely old man. He was about 100 years old, had no children of his own. And he's talking to God and out of his loneliness. And God comes to him and says this. He took him outside. This is the Lord. And he says, look up to the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham got sacrificed, verse 6. Say that? No. What's it say? Abraham what? Believed. What was Abraham's participation in his relationship with the Lord? To hear the Lord and believe the Lord. So Abraham believed and he was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham isn't even a Jew by a, a culture or relationship. What is he? He's a man who God presented himself the truth God has said, this is what I can do for you. This is what I want to do for you. This is how I want to bless not only you, I want to bless the whole world. If you would just bring your belief and your faith, look what I can do. Aren't you glad that Abraham, no matter what his performance was, believed? Look at the result. Your belief can affect the nations. Your belief in God can change your family. Your belief can change the world. And it's all because of your power? No, it's because of his power working through you. And now you can look at this right here. That's the greatest thing about you is what you believe about God. Is he as powerful as he says he is? Can he work his wonderful, magical, miracle-working power in you if you believe? And if the answer is yes, why? Because he is good. I want to put this into perspective for you. If God was all-powerful but not all-loving, you know what he would be? He would be Zeus. How did you tick me off today? Have a lightning bolt okay, maybe I won't do it next time because either I'm dead or I'm fried and I just don't want to do this again. But if he was all loving and so unconditional as loving but had no power, what would he say? 
yeah, that does kind of stink the situation you're in, but I can't do anything about it, but I love you. I think the world of you, but he's all loving and all powerful. And what does that come in equal to? I want to do everything possible to spend eternity with you even if that means saving you from you. So do you believe that God is a good father? Do you believe he's a heavenly father? Do you believe he's for you? Do you believe he's not against you? Do you believe he is doing a wonderful work in you moment by moment by moment? Second Corinthians says, from one degree of glory to the next. Nobody woke up this morning and said, I'm going to put on a black belt and walk into a dojo and just show them what's up. <laughs> You're going to get kicked in the face. Same thing in the spiritual realm. You woke up one day and you said, you know, Lord, you presented the gospel, I believe, and you put on your white belt. And then after that, you learned a little bit more about Jesus and you put on your yellow belt. I don't care what dojo you came from. You don't have to correct me after. And then you put on your green belt. And what? And was it from my moment by moment by moment, you got better. You learned more. You loved more. You came closer to Jesus Christ and you sinned less. Why? Because the Lord never gave up on you. And that is where we're at. That's why he says in verse 10, look what he says this. For all of us Christians or Jews who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Just like Abraham, just like uh, us today, just like Paul, we are not good because we do good things. We are good because we have a good God who lives in us. And we are thankful for that. That's why we move out of the place of not saying, you know what, Lord, what I will do for you. You say, Lord, you are great because of what you've done for me. And let me, under, let me kind of like example this out for you for uh, what it looks like to work in a covenant. No one stood in a, in a wedding ceremony and said this. So the husband and the wife are sitting there and the preacher's sitting there. Now say to the wife, this is what she'll do for you. That has, ever, has a covenant ever been relayed that way? No, no, it's never been the way like, I never stood before Jackie, thankfully. We're still married. This is good. I didn't stand at the altar and say, and she'll cook, and she'll clean, and she'll put mayonnaise on the sandwich just the way that I like it. And all my socks will be in underwear, will be folded and put it away. No, that's not what it says. And the covenant says, this is what my covenant is to you. And when you pick up the Bible, what you're seeing is an entire covenant of a groom who has said to the church, this is what I will do for you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will lift you up. I will be the perfect groom. I don't care what kind of bride you are. I have come for you. And by virtue of this relationship and the virtue of the love that I've been pouring out of heaven, I will save you from your situation and by grace, pull you forward into a heavenly life. Aren't you thankful that God was the good groom and we were not the bad bride? That's what this covenant is built on. The entire scripture is built on that. And if you try to live by the standard of the law, you will be cursed by the standard of the law. That's what an exhausting pace to keep, isn't it? I'm always wondering if I'm good enough. I'm always wondering if I can achieve. And the Lord said, no, that you will never be able to achieve. So come and rest. In fact, scripture says it this way. James 2 verse 10 says this. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I love bringing this scripture out when I go into the high schools. Because when I go into the high schools, I always get a bunch of kids that are like, oh, preacher's here today. I got some questions for him. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it's not really me you're contending with. It's the, the scripture and the word. But let's do it. And as, I'm always amazed that there's some unchurched kids who come prepared and they recite the Ten Commandments to me. And I'm like, oh, okay, a couple atheists in here uh, know the Ten Commandments better than the Christians. 
I'm like, okay, let's, let's go to battle. What's, what's up here? And they go, well, look at this. These are not actually a standard of good. But I want to let you know something. I, I would tell you this. This is what they say to me. I would keep six out of the, these 10. And I go, okay. For whatever reason, we're knocking four out of here. That's fine. Oh, these are the six that you'll live by, right? And I always get them with this question. Of these six, how many did you break today? Or how many did you keep today? And they always go, maybe one or two. One or two of the commandments that you said were good, that you live by, so you can't even live by your standard. You can't even succeed in the standard that you set for yourself, yet you're going to look at a God who has never changed, his standard has always been the same, has always proven to be good, and say, you're no good. How can we stand before that God and dictate to him our goodness when we can't even handle our own? And before him, he's saying, this is what the law can do. The law is limited. The law can't tell you you're good. The law can only tell you when you were bad. And this, the road to hell is paved with many good intentions and a lot of good trying. And the road to heaven is paved with what? Faith in God. God at no point has ever lowered his standards, has he? I will tell you this, as a parent, you're... This is how you know standards change constantly. I remember holding in this, I hope my son, will delete this, this teaching so he never hears this. I remember holding, my, it's not about Joey Jr., but I held Joey Jr. up and I was like, the next president of the United States right there in the hospital. I was like, do you see him? Do you see him? He's gonna make the better light bulb. He's gonna cure cancer. He's gonna do great things. And then like, I would, you know, raise him up and deal with him and he have attitudes and, and just all kinds of problems. I was like, well, maybe he'll be a good veterinarian. I don't know, that'll be, a, that'll be satisfactory for me. And then later that week, you're like, I just hope he doesn't eat crayons. You know, like, so the standard of life is constantly changing, is it not? And we stand before the Lord and say, you know what? This is where you'll be good. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is where I will be good. And this is where you come to receive good. And I want you to understand that because I've never changed my standard, I want you to fall on the standard of good and let me be your good. Think about this. When Jesus Christ went up to the cross, and I'll use the Dolphins sparingly. Here you are, a sinful Dolphins fan, covered in sin. You're covered in disgusting mistakes and failure. And Jesus Christ would stand on the cross and go, you will not get to heaven if it's not by perfect righteousness. Do you believe I'm your Messiah? And the answer is yes, then Jesus Christ comes and he gives you his righteous robes and he takes on your sinful robes. And he's nailed to a cross. But you know what goes up there with that cross? Goes with all your sin, goes all your punishment. With all your sin and punishment goes all your shame and guilt. And then you stand there humbly looking at a God who never deserved death, covered in your shame, covered in your guilt, and you are now covered in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ that are perfect and never been sullied, never been stained, never been touched. And now you can walk to heaven and go, I don't belong here. The invitation wasn't mine. So humbly I say, Lord, I, I don't deserve this, but by your mercy and your forgiveness. But, but boldly I say, I come in because I'm wearing his robes. His robes. His righteous robes that he gifted us we didn't earn them. And that's why we know that we are forgiven constantly. Look at the, the, the words of the song that we sang. This is the promises that we live in. No guilt in life, no fear in death. There is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand.
do you know that all of those words are this particular moment for you? Just think about this moment. The moment that you die, your eyes are not going to be looking for me. I hope not. Your eyes won't be looking for Pastor Craig. If I die, I can't look to my wife. I can't look to my mom. My eyes will be looking, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I know he's here somewhere. And I hope that when our eyes lock, I don't say hope, it's a blessed assurance that I look and go, can I, can I come in? Because I got your righteous robes. And I'm, the expectation, what you're looking for is the expectation of Christ. Just think about this. Nobody can look at you with the same expectation in heaven as Jesus Christ. I've been here. I've been building a wonderful place for you. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been living with you every day, but now is the day that we get to be come together in our covenant. Will you become one again with me in heaven in a new glorified body? And we say yes and amen. Because why? It's him. It's love. It's grace that I've received. I've been transformed into a person who lives for him and no longer lives for myself. Look at verse 11. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Look at this, verse 12. The law is not based on faith. On contrary, it's the person who does these things will live by them. He's saying it's the result, right? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And that's prophesied in the Old Testament. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You know, this is where the freedom that we have, and this is the connection between the Old Testament and New Testament that we live today. If we're not trying to struggle in our flesh and we have the blessed assurance of the Lord, we never have to struggle with this question, am I good enough? That's an exhausting, moving target to follow. Did we not establish that? Our standards of good change. Our performances change. Our conditions change. Yet Christ never changed. And so we can stand before the Lord today and say, Lord, I can row in my own strength, or I can rest in the sail and let the sailboat and let the winds of your grace take me forward. I don't have to be good enough because he is. And if he lives in me and he's decided to take up residence in me, then guess what? I am a Christ follower. Not a Christ follower because of what I do with my hands. I'm a Christ follower because of what I believe that came into my ears. I'm not trying to impress me. I'm not trying to impress him. I'm just trying to believe. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we're not just a bunch of people that go, you know what? I don't smoke or chew or drink or hang out with people that do. No. I'm the very living temple of Jesus Christ. And for whatever reason, he has called me by name and now has come to take residence in my heart, not because of anything I've done, because he loves me. And that brings me to this place. We can't even look left or right because we're all the same. All have come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And there is no moral superiority in here. There's only Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to be in heaven is a bunch of sinners that were healed and forgiven by Jesus Christ, not commanded by what they did. They can't walk to the Lord and say, you know, look, there's a collection of do-gooders in this room. Look how good we are, Jesus. No, we're going to look at the cross and then we're going to look at his hands. Imagine that, looking at Jesus Christ's hands in heaven. For you. For you. Which brings us to this great verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20. This is how I move forward in what we were talking about, that blessed assurance. It's not me, it's him. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us, to the glory of God. 
I want you to hear how solidified that prayer is, how solidified this verse is. If you were a sinner today, I don't care if you're a Christian, if, and I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but to say this, if you were a sinner today, if you ask for forgiveness, are you forgiven? How fast? Why? Jesus Christ, yes, and amen. Are you going to heaven? Yes, why? Jesus Christ, amen. Are you going to be redeemed and restored no matter what your past looks like? Yes, why? Jesus Christ, amen. It always comes to Jesus Christ. I'll give you this last little imagery that we'll talk about, and then we'll close on this. If you think about the sun at the center of the universe, our universe, our solar system, right? And the earth goes around it, right? What does the sun provide for the earth? Light, warmth, even gravity itself. For if it wasn't for the sun, we'd be hurled out deep into space, would we not? And yet the sun at the center of it all keeps it intact. How much of your life has been the light of Jesus Christ? How much of your life has, how much of your life has been the warmth of Jesus Christ, maybe in a cold situation? How much of your life is not directionless because the gravity of his love has kept you going? Not you, him. That brings us to our final prayer. This is just a small prayer that we can pray for the rest of this week. And we can say, Lord, we believe you will complete this good work that you started us in the spirit. So if we think that his love can save us from hell, can we believe that his love can continue to propel us forward? I just think about this all the time. Sometimes I always feel like, I always make this joke, um, you know, I'm driving along 95 and a nail goes in my tire. And I'm like, God, why have you abandoned me? What have I done to deserve this? Why is everything so bad in my life? But then I go back to this moment. If the power of Christ, the same power that raised him from the dead is saving me from hell, why, wouldn't I, why would I think he would abandon me on a bad day? I mean, isn't hell worse than a day? Isn't hell worse than a, a momentary lapse in judgment or a failure of sin in a situation? Why would I feel like you would give up on me the one little moment when he's redeeming my whole life? And I would say this prayer, Lord, I believe that you will complete that good work you started in me by your spirit. And now instead of trying in my flesh, I've come to rest in you. That's the whole definition of a Sabbath, rest. Not my will, your will. Not my way, your way. I decrease so that you can increase so that all things are possible by the spirit that saved me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're doing a good work in the people here today. None of us can save ourselves, even if we tried, and yet you come down to earth, you reach with beautiful heavenly hands, reach into our dirty sin and pull us up every time. You're rehabilitating us constantly. You're constantly pouring into our weak faith, great faith, and it's by your love and it's by your power. Lord, I thank you that every single person here you've never given up on. Even if we give up on ourselves, you're still pursuing passionately. Lord, call us deeper into a richer knowledge of your life. Lord, call us deeper into your spirit. Let us walk in the authority and the power that you've bestowed upon us because of your love. We are what we are today because you've decided that before you laid the foundations of the earth, you've called these people by name. You've written out their whole life, the good chapters and the bad chapters, and yet at the very end, it's still you. You are the center of our universe. You are the light and the warmth by which we live, and you are the gravity and the love that we live by. We are not directionless. We are the chosen people of God, selected for this purpose, to bring glory to your name. And everything we have is yes in Jesus Christ, and in all of his people say amen. Thank you.